I was thinking that Brenda looks a little bit like Jameson this morning. Although Jameson's isn't because he's not brushing. It's because he's at that age where he's losing all of his teeth. And we were wrestling yesterday, and all of a sudden something went flying, and I thought it was a piece of food or whatever. And I looked down on the floor, and I said, your teeth just came out. And so now he's got um, in the front of his mouth just this giant gaping hole uh, missing teeth. So a little bit different reason. We're coming back to our series on Chronicles this week. We took a little bit of a hiatus last week to talk about where uh, God has brought Spring Creek Church in the, in the last year and maybe a little bit of where we're going in the future, which isn't totally different than what we've been talking about in Chronicles as the chronicler, the person who wrote Chronicles, looked into the past to see where God's people had been faithful, how they had worshipped, how they had walked with God in the past in order to get a vision for where they were going after the exile and where they were going in the future. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. But this week we are getting back into our series of Chronicles. Uh, this week our chapters were Second Chronicles uh, 21 through 28. And what we get here in these chapters is a series of character studies as we look at the kings and what they did well and what they didn't do well and how the chronicler evaluates each of these kings. As we come to our sermon this morning, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning through me or despite me? Each of the kings in chapters 21 through 28 are evaluated on their faithfulness. We see their faithfulness played out in how they support worship at the temple or if they are supporting worship of idols or building up high places of other pagan religions. Uh, We see how they put their trust in God or if they put their trust in their own power or in military alliances with other kingdoms. We see the chronicler evaluate the kings based on if they enjoy peace or shalom around them or if they are in a constant state of conflict or war, either with other nations or within their own kingdom, if they are experiencing conflict there. One of the other ways that the chronicler evaluates each of the kings is by giving you a little bit of a note in how they died. How they, if they died at peace or if they suffered, if they died as a result of internal conflict. And then they also often note where each of them were buried. Are they buried with the kings? Are they buried in the city of the kings but not with the kings? Are they buried without any kind of celebration, uh, without being buried near the other kings? And this is a way that the chronicler helps us get an evaluation of how that king did. And so we start into this list uh, through 21 through 28. Jehoram said he followed the ways of Israel, and if you're not sure, that's not a good thing. The northern kingdom had long turned its back on God and was not following Yahweh. And so when the chronicler says he followed the ways of Israel, that's not a good thing here. Jehoram killed his siblings and the officials who threatened him. He tried to consolidate his power. He deals with 
plagues and uprisings and wars from neighboring kingdoms. Uh, we're told that Jehoram dies a pretty gruesome death. He gets a disease in his bowels and says at one point the bowels were coming out of his body and that's really graphic description. I'm glad we're not given any more. That's plenty for me. Uh, at that point, I don't want to follow in the example of Jehoram. He dies uh, as a result of this disease and there is no celebration in his honor. In fact, the text says he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Jehoram is not an example we want to be following. Next comes Ahaziah. Chet, you did a great job with the names this morning. Uh, there's just a, a load of names here in Chronicles that are all a little bit uh, weird for us to try and pronounce. Uh, Ahaziah follows also in the ways of Israel, and he experiences God's judgment against him. And then we get to Joash, who in the wake of Ahaziah's death, uh, his mother, Athaliah, that's what I'm going with, as far as the pronunciation there, tries to kill off the royal family, tries to set herself up as the queen over Judah. But the priest, Jehodiah, intervenes and he saves Joash. And Joash, at the age of seven, becomes the king of Judah. We were reading some bedtime stories the other week uh, to the boys out of a children's Bible that they have. And they have the story of, Je of Joash from Second uh, Kings, which is a little bit less colorful than here in Chronicles. And Jameson just heard that he became king at age seven. And Jameson just turned age seven. And so uh, he's got a big smile on his face. I said, you're not king here. Not yet, son. At the beginning, Joash did right in the eyes of God. He restored the temple. He was, he was concerned about worship in the temple, and he, he did things to rejuvenate their worship. And things go well in the kingdom of Judah for a while. And then Jehodiah, who apparently had been a mentor for Joash, who had helped guide him through uh, being king at a very young age, who had rescued him, who had surely been a part of the, the restoration of the temple. He dies. He's gone. And the officials come, and they pay homage to Joash. They surround him, and they tell him how great he is. You're a really great king. You're a super guy. You've done some really amazing things. You have power. You have wealth. This is really great. The text says the king listened to them. He took in all of the uh, ground-nosing that they were doing. He took in all the homage that they were paying, and he started to think, you know what? I am pretty awesome. I'm the king. I've done some pretty great things. Maybe this is my own doing. Jehodiah's gone, and, and you know what? Things are still going well. Maybe it's based on what I've done. He has a lot of pride. In the end, Joha uh, Joash orders the death of Zechariah, who had warned Judah to turn back to God. And these same officials who at one point are telling Joash how great he is, you're really great. And Joash suffers uh, 
a wound in a battle. They seize the moment and they come and they kill Joash. Those same officials who had told him how great he was, when they get the opportunity, they just get rid of him. We're told that he's buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. After Joash comes Amaziah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but the text says, yet not with a true heart. He's not there completely. He's doing things, he's serving God as long as it serves his own purpose. As long as things are going well, as long as it makes sense for him to be worshiping Yahweh, he goes along with it. But he doesn't have his whole heart in it. A lot of times if I look at my own life, that can be the model too. We go along worshiping God, but sometimes our whole heart isn't in it. We're not walking faithfully day in and day out. Amaziah wins some battles after following good advice, but then he comes back and he turns around and he's worshiping idols. He attacks Israel, but he loses. And Jerusalem, the city, suffers. Part of the wall is torn down. The temple is looted. Eventually, Amaziah is hunted down and killed. Some of these stories, it seems like this is like uh, fodder for a new HBO series or something like that uh, as we follow these kings and their faithfulness and unfaithfulness and all the intrigue of families fighting families and hunting each other down. Following him comes Uzziah. We're told in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Sounds like us. 11 verses later, it says, But when he had become strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Again, we have a king who's buying into their own pride, their own power. They see everything that's going well, and they stop trusting God, and they're just taking it in themselves. Uzziah enters the temple, and he performs the position of the priest. He's the king. He's not supposed to be entering the temple and becoming the priest, setting himself up as the priest. We see a picture here of religion and politics coming together in a very unhealthy way. Political power in bed with religion, using religion for his own gain, his own power. And as a result, he contracts leprosy. And because of that leprosy, he eventually is buried, separated from the kings. Again, we give an evaluation of how he does. Jotham comes and he follows God. Second Chronicles 27, 6 says, So Jotham became strong because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He walks faithfully day in and day out following God in the way that he governs, in the way that he rules, in the way that he worships. Following him comes Ahaz, who worships pagan idols. He sacrifices his children. He continually chooses the wrong path. Eventually, he closes the temple, and he opens up places for pagan worship in Judah. It's noted that he is not buried with the kings. 
we've talked a lot about the theme of faithfully seeking God through this series in Chronicles. But what is faithfulness? And what does faithfulness look like here? And I think one of the things the Chronicler wants us to understand is that faithfulness is about daily walking with God. Brenda's example was great here. You can't just brush your teeth once at the beginning of life and hope everything's going to be all right. Daily walking with God. Daily going through that process of brushing your teeth that keeps the cavities away. And so the Chronicler wants us to understand that faithfulness is consistently walking with God. If we move then forward into the New Testament, remember the Chronicles has been processed, pointing us forward to Jesus, pointing us forward to God's ideals. We live on the other side now of Jesus. And faithfulness is choosing daily to die to ourselves in order to live in Christ. See, the way of Jesus, Jesus' love, his example, is that he comes and he assumes the position of the servant. He stoops down, the God of the universe, there at creation, gets down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet. Ultimately, he gives himself up on the cross for the salvation of others. We read this morning from Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Sometimes sermon prep uh, comes in, in very different ways. And some, some weeks it's pouring over commentaries. This week it was uh, not something at all that I planned. I was reading through this book on spiritual formation, and most of the book I really wasn't getting a whole lot out of. But at the very end, it started talking about this section in Philippians about how Jesus models leaving glory and becoming nothing. And then later in the week, I was listening to a podcast, which I often listen to from uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight, and he's talking about this very same passage. And I thought, I need to listen to this. I'm learning something about faithfulness. And no lie, last night I was... Uh, reading through uh, a, another book uh, for something coming up in a, in a couple weeks for me, and this very same passage coming up again. I thought, there's something here that we need to, to listen to and to follow. So Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says, who, though he was in the form of God, and that word though, it can mean although, kind of uh, in contrast to, but in the Greek, it can also mean because, because he was in the form of God. Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Old Testament had said, Cursed is the person who dies on a tree. And Jesus takes on the curse of sin, the curse of death for the world. He takes it on on the cross. 
Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. See, because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. And Jesus shows us the true character of God, that God, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, is a God who ultimately gives himself up to be reunited, to be in restored relationship with those that he loves deeply and passionately. Jesus shows us that God is love. Jesus is not prideful like the kings in Chronicles. He gives himself up so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus completely emptied himself, becoming nothing, dying on the cross, even though or because he is God. Then God exalts Jesus. Paul, who's writing down this, uh, this is probably a hymn of the early church. Paul is writing it down. Paul was a powerful, well-taught, proper Jew. And yet he becomes this poor, blind beggar because of Jesus. But God uses him, uses Paul in that poor, blind state. Paul even will write that his own righteousness is as soiled, dirty rags compared to what it means to know God. See, faithfulness is not about a once-and-done decision. Joash early on had walked with God, but he Listened to the people around him. He bought into the lie of his own power, his own pride. And he stopped walking faithfully with God. Amaziah, he, didn't, he wasn't sold out. He wasn't really following God in his heart. And it didn't go well for him. Uzziah gets caught up in his own pride and he stops walking faithfully with God. Faithfulness is about dying daily to ourselves. That's what we do in baptism. It's a symbol that we are dying to ourselves and being raised to new life. We wash feet at love feast and communion to remind ourselves to assume the position of Jesus, to get down, to serve one another, to remember that we are a servant to them. Brothers and sisters, we take communion as an experience of the unique presence of Christ and we remember that Jesus allowed his body and blood to be broken and poured out for the saving of others. And in our worship we are gathered to be reminded of the story of our faith, to be encouraged and blessed and to be sent out in ministry to others, to serve others. We identify with a God who in Jesus becomes the servant, giving of God's self for the saving of another. And so faithfulness is about a long, 
journey with Jesus, being formed into the image of Jesus. Faithfulness isn't just about the good times or the bad times. It's not just about when it's convenient. It's not about buying into the power over game. Power over is how we see the world work. Power over people. But Jesus comes and shows us that real power is coming under people and lifting them up, serving them, dying for them. So discipleship, faithfulness, being formed into the image of Christ is about taking on the position of Jesus. Faithfulness is a decision that we make daily, moment by moment, choosing to walk in the way of Jesus. This morning as we conclude our worship service, we're going to sing, it's a favorite song of mine, so I hope we don't sing it too often, but trust and obey. That as we walk daily with Jesus, there are times uh, and situations that we don't always understand, but God asks us to trust that he's got everything under control and to walk faithfully with him day in and day out.